Well, hello, Christ Chapel. Good to see you. Thank you for those of you who are joining us uh, online, also from wherever you are in your living room uh, on a fall break. I hope you're enjoying some cool weather uh, like we are. Also, it, it's just the weather has gotten bizarre, but hey, it's, it's 2020. <laughs> I mean, 2020 has just been a crazy, crazy year, and last week was no exception. Uh, if you have been following the news, uh, you heard how uh, the Catholic Church, who has been a fantastic, fantastic ally for conservative values, had the Pope come out and declare uh, his uh, support for same-sex civil unions. Uh, that was unprecedented for the Catholic Church, and honestly, because they've been such a great ally, makes me pretty sad as a partner in that fight. But it made me realize with such a public figure in the church stating his support for same-sex civil unions that it's only given credence to everybody's skepticism that everything in our world is unstable and uncertain. And so I felt like I needed to, on behalf of our elder board, stand before you as a leader in our church and tell you where we stand on those kinds of issues. So first, let me say that we have preached, we believe, and we will continue to practice the Imago Dei, that every person is created in the image of God. Therefore, every person is equal and should be treated as valuable. That leads to the sanctity of human life. We believe that life begins at conception. And because that life that has begun at conception is voiceless and vulnerable, it should therefore be protected. We will always stand for life. We also stand for the biblical definition of marriage. We believe in the biblical standard for marriage. We believe in the, the definition of a man and a woman and the sanctity of marriage, that sexuality should be kept in the confines of marriage. We will always define it that way. So when everything in those sorts feels like it's up for grabs in our world today, I want you to know that those are nailed down tight at Christ Chapel. That will not change. Those are God's definitions. Those are God's standards. That's what we're always going to remain on. That's where we are. And those are the issues that are pressing today. And so when I've told you specifically about voting, how I've wanted you to pray and to prioritize issues and go search the scriptures, these are three issues that are paramount and non-negotiable for us as believers, us as a church, us biblically. And so what I encourage you to do is to go and search the scriptures on those specific things, the Imago Dei, the sanctity of human life, the biblical definition of marriage and human sexuality. Go search the scriptures about what God says about those things that everybody seems to debate these days. And then look at how those platforms line up and vote, go and vote the biblical principles. 
Go and vote as a Christian. Go and vote as a believer. Believer first and foremost. Because, folks, we do not put our, our, our hope in an elected official. We put our hope in a sovereign king. That is who we put our hope in. Because he is the one who will be in charge this next four years and the four years after that. That's who we put our hope in. Now we would love for legislation to be in place to protect those freedoms because those things will affect our future, our freedoms, our family, and ultimately our children. They're important, important issues, and that's why I said they're paramount and non-negotiable. But folks, the issues that are pressing in on our culture today are no different than the world has seen throughout history. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. There's no new battle to fight here. All God is asking people to do is stand up for him and allow him to fight the battle through them. If you look back throughout history, if you even look back at, at the ancient uh, Greco-Roman cultures, the cultures from which Christianity was birthed, think about those philosophers and the practices of that day. Plato, who was a fourth century Greek philosopher, he wanted to abolish marriage, and he wanted procreation and the care for the young to be handed over to the government. That's what he wanted. If you look back at, at the, the Greek Spartans, they actually encouraged same-sex relationships. They said that it encouraged military bonding, and they actually purported it as educational mentorship in the form of pedophilia. From that context, God birthed his church. In the darkest of times, that's when he entered the world as the light of the world. That's when he began the movement. You see, those sinful and abhorrent practices that were being carried out in the Greco-Roman world only began to change as God changed people from the inside out and disciples began to align their lives with scripture and to live their faith out loud, one person at a time. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. I wanna give you an example of how God began that movement, one person at a time, as it impacted a city. So if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three, verses one to 10. We're obviously continuing our series called The Movement, and today I want you to see how the movement is propelled. The movement continues as it impacts one person at a time. I use the analogy, uh, the, the metaphorical, rhetorical question that people ask, how do you eat an elephant? As if anyone has. No, none of you have probably eaten an elephant, but the answer to that rhetorical question is one bite at a time. And there are a lot of elephants, big, hairy, scary monsters that are roaming throughout our land that seem to be trampling on everything that is valuable. And you say, how do we eat that elephant? One bite at a time, one person at a time. One person being changed from the inside out. One person aligning their lives to scripture and saying, God, I will live my faith out loud. It's gonna be in unlikely places. 
It's gonna have unlikely means and it's gonna be through unlikely people. But I wanna show you an example of that in Acts chapter three, verses one to 10. So I just wanna read the whole thing with you just so you have the context and then we'll go back in and I'll fill in the gaps and explain. So Acts chapter three, verse one, follow along with me. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Why? To ask for alms of those entering the temple. Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or some form of charity, money. And Peter directed his gaze at this beggar as did John and said, look at us. And the beggar fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And all those who saw him were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And we'll stop right there for today. So may God bless the reading of his word. Now let me just give you some context as I've told you, this movement continues to move through unlikely places, unlikely means, and unlikely people. Now, the context here is it's the night hour, which you, you wouldn't know what that means. That means that it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. This would have been the time for the evening sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem. Remember, that's where they worshiped. There were two sacrifices per day, a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. So this was the time of the evening sacrifice, but it is outside of the temple. It's outside of the temple. You see, the first thing that I want you to see is that God impacts the world in unlikely places. God impacts the world through unlikely places. This is outside of the temple, and it's outside a gate they called beautiful. Now, why did they call this gate beautiful? Okay, this is not one of, there were, for those of you who know Jerusalem and the temple complex, there was a huge temple complex of which there were gates to come into that complex. This is probably not one of those gates. This was probably a gate that led to the actual sanctuary and there were 10 gates, nine of which all looked the same, nine of which were with silver and gold, actually, which I think there's a correlation there. But one was called the gate beautiful. And this was probably the Nicanor gate. And the reason why it was called a beautiful gate is because it was built with other materials and it was bigger than any of the other gates. This was probably Josephus, an ancient uh, Jewish historian, Roman historian. He tells us that this gate was about 75 feet tall, 60 feet wide, made of gold and Corinthian bronze, and it would have taken 20 people to open and close it. It was that heavy. So this was a showstopper gate. This was a gate like no other, the gate beautiful. Yet this beggar is 
outside of that gate. Now, why is that important? Because I oftentimes think that we believe that where God moves is inside the gate. It's inside the walls. It's inside church. And actually, that's not always true. In fact, if you look at the majority of examples throughout scripture, Jesus impacts people outside the synagogue. It's outside the walls of the churches. It's not inside the walls. It's as people go about their daily lives, which is why we've always encouraged you that we want to be, and the challenge to you is to be a church without walls. To impact people as you go throughout your everyday lives, as you encounter them. That we don't want, certainly we want you to bring guests to church absolutely inside these walls. But folks, if we're just waiting to tell them about Jesus till they get inside these walls, how many people will be left out? This can't be the only place the name of Jesus is spoken. It has to go throughout the world, outside of these walls. I know that that's an unlikely place, but it's where Jesus met people. Think about the woman at the well, (laughs) outside the walls, a church without walls. And so here's what I, I, I wanna ask you a question as we go throughout each of these points. And so the first one, as you think about unlikely places, is this. Do you choose to see some people as invisible as you go throughout your day? Do you choose to see some people as invisible as you go throughout your day? Now, one of the key phrases that I want you to notice in Acts chapter three is that it says that they laid this beggar there daily. Daily. Now, daily, those disciples, those devout worshipers would have gone to the temple how many times a day? I already told you. Were you listening? Twice. They would have gone for the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice to pray. So they go there twice. And every day, this person, this beggar, is laid in front of the gate beautiful. So every day, You would think, now this is tough math for a church rec major like me, but I would think that they're walking by this person four times. Four times. They go in, one, out, two. In, three, out, four. Sounds like exercises, right? Yet four times, everybody just chooses to ignore this guy. And he was probably one of hundreds of people who walked there. How many times do you go throughout your day, your normal day, and you just zone people out? Just choose to make them invisible. And I'm not talking about only the panhandler on the side of the road asking for help. I'm talking about the people that you spend two or three times a week with at your kid's ball practice or gymnastics practice, or you see every PTO meeting or PTA meeting, the person you sit next to in the cubicle, or you walk by four times a day as you go to the restroom at your office, yet you say, eh, invisible, not, not, not really wanting to look at them. Here's a great quote 
C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, talks about who we are walking past every day. Because what we don't realize and what we fail to think as we go throughout our days is that people are immortal. People have souls that will last for eternity. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and even exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And all day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. Folks, for the movement to continue, you have to understand that people are immortal but you also have to have the compassion of Christ to know that they're gonna end up somewhere. And those places that they're gonna end up couldn't be more different. Do you choose to see people as invisible as you go throughout their day? I hope you don't. Because God moves in unlikely places, on yoga mats, in cubicles, at grocery stores, at ball fields. He works in all of those unlikely places to do incredible, incredible things. Second, God impacts the world through unlikely means. It's not just unlikely places, but it's through unlikely means. So I want you to see that. Because Peter and John, they're, they're going to the temple, as I said, and one of the rituals that they would have gone to is not just the sacrifice, but it would have been obviously to pray, but a whole nother part or pillar of the Jewish faith was charity. It, it was to give an offering. And so th that's why these beggars were strategically placed outside the gates of this temple. They weren't welcome inside, but they would sit outside because as you were going to church, your mind would have been on all the right things to do. So, okay, I'm gonna go pray. I'm gonna go observe the sacrifice. And oh yeah, I'm supposed to give. And here, let me check that off the box as I'm going in. And you throw a couple of coins to one of the beggars. It is a very advantageous place to be. Also, because it was the time of the sacrifice, this would have been the largest group that would have come to the temple during that day. But as people walked by and just threw coins at the beggars as if they're street performers and they throw it in a guitar case, nobody would ever look at these people. They, they were always there, daily. They just walked, they, they became a part of the, the landscape of going into the temple. Yet, Peter and John asked the guy to look at them, to look at them. I wonder, I wonder, Cody's speculation, was that the first person that ever tried to make eye contact with that beggar? 
was it the first one that ever said, just, just look at me? He would have been down on the ground, Peter and John up. I wonder if Peter knelt down to get on his level. We, remember we just talked about Imago Dei? Every person is created in the image of God and deserves equal dignity, value. And he leans down and he looks at him. Look at verses four and eight. He says, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. Man, we don't even make eye contact with people that want something from us. I mean, we, turn, we kind of turn our eyes away if we see somebody coming and they're gonna ask us to buy Girl Scout cookies. And yet they know that he wants something and he says, look at me. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong as they would have been atrophied for so many years. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This was the first of 14 miracles that we see throughout the book of Acts. And this was certainly something that was supernatural that was done through the apostles. If you look back at chapter two, the one we studied last week at the very end, it says many miraculous things were being done through the disciples, through the apostles. So this was specific to the apostles, this miraculous work but it's one of 14 that we see. And you might ask yourself, Cody, why are the apostles doing miracles in the book of Acts? I, wanna, I just wanna give you a quick five reasons why they do. First, it's certainly mercy toward the suffering. God wants to show mercy toward those who are suffering. Second, and this is probably uh, most important here, uh, one of the most important is to validate God's message and messenger. When they did something miraculous, people went, oh my gosh, that is the real deal. And I'll show you that later in chapter four. It was to, third, reveal God's power and plan. It was to reveal he is powerful and his plan is to heal all those who are lame. If you look at all the messianic prophecies and all the promises in Revelation, that is his plan. Fourth, it's to evangelize non-Christians. In fact, through the New Testament, what you see, the pattern is, non-Christians are healed, Christians are raised from the dead. Non-Christians are healed so that they will put their faith in Jesus. Believers, it's a foreshadowing of the resurrection. And then fifth, it's to motivate Christians to worship. We see all five of these fulfilled in this very passage. When Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have, I will give to you. I've got the name of Jesus. And the man leaps up and begins to praise God. A couple things I want you to notice. First, in the name of Jesus, that, that means his power, his authority, and his will. God will do amazing things when we go in his authority, in his power, according to his will. And he can do that in and through you. 
But Jesus doesn't just offer him the name of Jesus, which was something miraculous uh, for them in that day, certainly. He doesn't just offer him the name of Jesus. What else does he offer him? His right hand. He offers him his hand to help him up. You see, as we go throughout the world impacting people one person at a time, it's in the name of Jesus, knowing first, primarily what people need is spiritual salvation before they need silver and gold. But they also need help. People will also need physical help. We pray for people, but we also help provide for people however we can. We give what we have. That's what Peter says. I don't have it, but here's what I do have. We offer what we have in Jesus' name. And he gives him that hand. And it says the man leaps up, which was probably a fulfillment of Isaiah 36, uh, 35, verse 6 of the Messianic prophecy that the lame will leap like a deer. That when the name of Jesus shows up, miraculous things happen. So here's my question for you. Do you stop for unscheduled divine appointments? Do you stop for unscheduled divine appointments? I think there's two reasons why we don't stop for unscheduled divine appointments. First, it's that our schedules are so packed. We have so much going on. We are in such a hurry to do our things that we aren't even open to God's agenda, God's appointments. And let me, let me say first and foremost, before you expect a divine appointment with someone else, God wants a divine appointment with himself. He wants you to spend time with him so that you know what he's capable of and he can begin to mold and shape you into his image for a divine appointment later in the day. So divine appointments begin with your appointment with the divine. But one of the reasons why we don't stop is because we don't have any margin or allow any margin in our everyday lives. But really, here's the reason, the second reason, why I think we don't stop for unscheduled divine appointments. I think it's because we feel like we won't be equipped. That we won't have what it takes to help somebody. It's like you see somebody on, on the side of the road and they, they have a flat tire and you go, well, I can't stop because I don't have a, a tire iron. I don't have a jack. You know, I don't have the tools to help them, so I might as well just go on by. And you go, maybe they have one. <laughs> maybe they just need your help. You see, what you have is the same thing that Peter had. It's the name of Jesus. That's the name and banner under which you walk. Am I right? If that's not the banner you're walking under, then you're giving yourself too much credit. And of course, if you're gonna put it all on yourself, you should never stop. But in the name of Jesus, stop. For those unscheduled divine appointments, I wonder how many miraculous things we're missing out on in the world because we just haven't stopped. Would you stop? God will equip you. Maybe somebody, maybe, maybe they don't, maybe if you just stopped, you would realize they don't need anything miraculous. They just want to know somebody cares. 
Folks, in our world today, that is miraculous. That is miraculous. Stop in the name of Jesus. And I've got to say this too. Another reason why we don't stop for unscheduled divine appointments is because we go, Cody, if I stop for that one, do I have to stop for the next one? And do I have to stop for the next one and the next one? And there's just so many people. And I heard a pastor say one time, I think this is fantastic. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. Just stop, just stop. Because if you do, God will impact the world through unlikely people. God will impact the world through unlikely people. This beggar, we find out from chapter four, verse 22, that this beggar was 40 years old. 40 years old, born lame. Now because he was born lame, he was unable to uh, work in an agrarian society. And because he was unable to work in an agrarian society, he was therefore begging. But because he couldn't support himself with a wage or a job, probably wasn't married. He probably didn't, because he didn't have any income coming into his life, so he probably didn't have at least any uh, family, maybe an immediate family, but who knows how many. But this person was not valued in that society whatsoever. But God uses this unlikely person to make a huge impact on a lot of people. Look at verses nine and 10. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, some of the people that, that, need to know that God has impacted our life through Jesus Christ are the people that have watched us our entire lives. It's the ones you've been around. It's the ones that have seen you. They recognized him. Oh my goodness, he's not invisible anymore. We see him, we notice that he's the one who used to sit there and beg and now he's leaping and praising God as he enters into the temple and he turns, he, God turns this, this beggar into an ambassador for him. And everybody takes notice. Everybody understands. This is an unlikely person for God to impact all of these worshipers through, yet God uses him. And so here's my question for you. Do you believe that God can do extraordinary things through your ordinary life? And I realized after I wrote this question that some of you might be offended that I called your life ordinary. I'm sorry. I have an ordinary life. Okay, so I'm in, the, I'm in the same boat with you. But do you believe that God can do extraordinary things through your ordinary life? If you don't, let me remind you of who you are. You are the beggar. That's who you are. You were born lame, unable to walk with God, unable to walk in a manner worthy of him. You were outside of the temple. You were outside of his presence because of your sin. Yet, God reached out to you through his son, reached down to you 
and said, in the name of Jesus, by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, would you get up? And you were strengthened and able to walk with him and able to walk through the one gate, the gate called beautiful, into his presence. There's only one gate, and that's Jesus. You are the beggar. I am the beggar. So if you ever doubt that God can do extraordinary things through your ordinary life, remember, he already has. He has already brought you from death to life. He's given you access from a place that you could never get into yourself. He's allowed you to walk when you were lame. He's already done extraordinary things. So don't begin to doubt him now. And oh, by the way, Peter and John are no different. They're ordinary people who just offered what they had in the name of Jesus. Incredibly unlikely people. Remember, remember these two guys. These are two Galileans who were fishermen. In fact, right after this happens, they bring them into the council because this beggar has caused such a stir and they said, hey, it's funny what they ask him. Look at Acts chapter four, if you have your Bibles open. They say, by what power or by what name did you do this? We know you couldn't have done this yourself. By what power, and we talked about that in Acts chapter one, verse eight. The movement is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what name? The name of Jesus Christ. And they say, it was done by Jesus Christ of Nazareth alone. It was done by him. And I love what they say in chapter four, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's us. Ordinary, common folk who can impact the world one person at a time. Why? Because we've been with Jesus. That's it. How do we eat this elephant? One bite at a time. One person at a time. One hand at a time. One unscheduled divine appointment at a time. One time where you say yes, this is the way that God changes the world. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. I just wanna read it to you. He says, for consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. He's, he's preaching to me. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I'm a country boy from small town Texas. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world like beggars in Acts chapter three. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption and everything we hold dear to our faith so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in 
the Lord. The movement will impact the world one person at a time. It started with one person, our Lord Jesus, and it continues through one person, you and me. May God impact the world through us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. We thank you that it's unchanging, that it's timeless. We thank you that, Lord God, we can always trust in you and your word. You've given us an accurate, accurate, infallible and inerrant description of who you are. That's what we base our lives on. And so, Lord God, my prayer is that we would all today just say yes to you. Yes, Lord, I'll go to the unlikely places. Yes, Lord God, I'll stop for those unscheduled divine appointments. And unlikely means that you have and will provide everything we need to impact this world in Jesus' name so that none would boast in themselves, but all would boast in you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.